Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss the first episode, the premiere episode of season five, titled Event Horizon. So Supergirl is officially back for season five. There's lots of stuff going on. So we're going to give you kind of an overview of where the characters are at for the season. And then starting next week, we're going to delve into specific topics that come up episode to episode. Mm -hmm. And so diving into this episode, and obviously hinting at possible future topics, we have a new title card. They kept the part where there's this sort of like rainbow colorful background, Mm -hmm. but it's led into by these like nanites or like little numbers, (laughs) it looks like. Yeah, it's very techy. It's kind of like other shows where you'll see like bits of code and they're floating around and then they come together to form a shape. Yes. So I thought it was interesting, though, that they brought the rainbow back, which I sort of took last year as a hint toward their like attempts at inclusivity and like the topics that they addressed, which were relevant to society and social issues. And I liked, therefore, that they brought it back because I'm hoping to see at least some of that this season. And then obviously we have the techie technology theme happening there with that effect. And we haven't seen the original intro speech talking about who Kara is yet. So it'll be interesting to see if it comes back. And what it looks like, what she says. Yeah. What kinds of things she says, because they kept chopping out the parts of her life that were being taken away from her <laughs> as last season went on. They sure did. Uh, <laughs> I'm Cara Zarell and I hate cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Kara and things that have been taken out of her life, <laughs> let's start with item number one. Item number one, which is Alina Luther, obviously tying into our technology theme here. What? <laughs> which is interesting, obviously, because Alina brought in the technology themes last season, which we talked about in several episodes, mm-hmm. kind of the morality issues, and they didn't quite come to a head in any sense. But we're seeing here, obviously, that these sorts of themes are kind of more in focus and are more likely to have a sort of climactic conclusion for the character and are also reflected in other characters in their situations. So last year, we saw, obviously, Lena doing some shady things with technology and her inventions and the Haranel and experiments and stuff like the Lexo suit, even that she repurposed. For science. <laughs> for science. And that sort of brings in the concept of like stealing tech from other cultures mm. that we saw with the Haranel. Well, and we also talked about that a bit in season three with the cult and Mm -hmm. Colville taking different Kryptonian artifacts. Yes. And then nearly blowing people up with them. Sure did. Which is why Kara in this episode is like, could the pod that was stolen, my cousin's pod, be turned into a bomb? Yeah. So that was an interesting moment of like kind of tying in the idea of technology and then someone literally like breaking into a museum and stealing this artifact of Kryptonian culture. And then in terms of like shady technology, obviously tying into Lena very closely is this idea of trusting technology and not people, which we definitely saw last season. She said the same thing to Kara, like, I don't need a pilot. <laughs> I just need my, <laughs> my AI programmed it. Yeah, my AI. My precursor to hope. Obviously, in this season, we have her only talking to her AI and not opening up emotionally to anyone else because, as she says, she only trusts technology and not people. And then, obviously, with Lena, something we talked about a lot with her character is the fact that, you know, she owns L Corp and, like, represents a corporation and has a lot of power and sometimes does questionable things with that because she has so much power. So, like, in season three, when she bought Kako, while she had 
had Elcorp and there was kind of that recurring conflict of interest with her character and even with James later on. And now in this season, we have Andrea Rojas, who has Obsidian Tech and then also has this big media outlet. Yeah. And it's kind of concerning because of the level of influence and how media can serve as sort of like a check and balance type situation. Well, and there's also a lot of subtext there about the world of the social elite and the fact that Lena drops in that Andrea was someone she went to school with. Yeah. And the way that that serves as like a networking platform and you associate yourself with those people and you're more inclined to give them opportunities before reaching out to other people beyond that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a little bit connected to some of the scandals that have broken out in the last year or so in the media related to like, for example, the college admissions thing where you had very wealthy mm. people assuming that like they could throw enough money around to put people in the positions that they wanted in different locations or some of the corruption investigations that are going on with like the Trump administration where there's a lot of cronyism Mm. and like bringing in people who are already part of a pre-existing social network whether they have the qualifications or not and then consolidating the control over many different ways of messaging to the public and that's kind of what's happening here because Andrea Rojas has a tech company and this huge platform that we see very early in the episode is already deeply affecting people's behavior and the ways that they think perhaps Mm. and now she also wants to control the way they think in a bigger scale. (laughs) Yeah and it's also interesting in terms of like our main characters and how everyone's all in this circle. And the most, I think, so far this season, I felt how much of an elite group they feel. Yeah. <laughs> like Kelly gets the Obsidian Tech. Like, I don't even know if that's connected, but it's kind of like, oh, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're all interconnected. Networking. <laughs> and then also related to this concept of corporations having control and influence over people, we obviously had Andrea pull out that non-compete clause that the Keco employees recently signed. So basically, they can't leave Kako and go to another outlet for, I suppose, a period of time specified in the contract. So people who, I don't know, need money <laughs> to survive would be inclined to stay, to stick around. James is the CEO being like, we'll all walk now. It's like, <laughs> will you though? <laughs> yeah. It was a good threat attempt. But... It was, but it was also a very like a dude's approach. Be like, if you don't let us do what we want, we'll quit. <laughs> like, yeah. And Karis was like, no, no, you will let me do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like two different Gryffindor tactics. <laughs> yes. But also Lena's decisions here, as much as she thinks she's being very cold and calculating, totally aren't mm. cold calculating decisions at all, which is why her AI is annoyed with her. <laughs> <laughs> and so like in combination with not letting people leave the company and also buying all these other companies, you have a situation where you're sort of suppressing competition and then you're as a corporation allowed to do more shady things because there's no accountability. Although it'll be interesting to see what happens with Alcorp in relation to Kako now that they aren't linked the same way. And we'll see if Lena ends up regretting her decision to sell it. Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah, well, and kind of going back to the thing with corporations and also technology being used for perhaps shady or unethical ends, you also have Andrea state pretty clearly that she doesn't view customers essentially as people, which is immediately going to put her in conflict with Kara. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at everything as a numbers game mm-hmm. very coolly. And she mentions like wanting to get eyeballs onto pages because that's what gets revenue. But she's implying 
a lot more than that because what she wants is the data that people give and she also has her other platform that's gathering lots of behavioral information about people too mm-hmm. um, so she can kind of combine those together and she specifically criticizes Kara later in the episode for presenting too much fact and not enough emotion which don't undo all the hard work Snapper did <laughs> right? don't, don't do that My gosh. <laughs> Kara worked long and hard to learn how to not do that took her a while uh, to get there <laughs> yeah and and now it's interesting to see Kara who's like this is a part of her value system now and she's very strongly believing in the fact that she needs to present like both sides and keep her emotions out of it but that ties into some themes that we'll talk about later on with emotion in relation to technology and data and such but going back to Lena and how she intersects with these concepts isolation plays a big role in why these morally sort of shady situations occur with her both in the sense of like Lena taking tech from other cultures and then not getting input from people who belong to those cultures trusting technology and not people and then in the sense of like being a corporation where she doesn't have oversight she's just kind mm-hmm. of on her own and, and like I'm the only one who can fix this problem and I mean she built her own creepy Alexa in like a month <laughs> so maybe she is the only one who can solve these problems <laughs> So Lena isolates herself and doesn't open herself to other people and and kind of listen with empathy to other viewpoints. And it causes a lot of problems and very interestingly intersects with her use of technology because that's something she can just kind of work on on her own. Yeah. And it's also interesting because it contrasts what Kelly's motivations are that she expresses in the episode for wanting to work with Obsidian Mm -hmm. and the idea of using technology to bring people together and to actually let them learn and like cope in a healthy way with problems. Uh Well, that's sort of the key difference there is (laughs) Kelly's theoretical use of virtual reality and trying to help people emotionally. There's a therapist involved. There's another person kind of helping the patient along, whereas Lena's just kind of feeding into her own ideas. I don't need anyone (laughs) there's no but you (laughs) Um, and that kind of cuts into the core of i guess what we'll see this season with technology is whether or not it is a positive force for social connection in different ways if it can bring people together or if it allows for people to isolate themselves and and feeds into undesirable desires indeed and the answer will be both (laughs) i am curious to see if we'll hear about myriad again oh interesting even in passing (laughs) (laughs) well some of the same ideas will probably come into play with Leviathan. Yes, and like mind control of people. Mm. So Lena's use of technology in this episode is spurred on by some very strong emotions, (laughs) specifically perhaps hurt and disappointment. Mm-hmm. disillusionment also. So Lena has been isolating herself, I think, probably more than usual even over the past month and has sort of built up these intense hurt feelings and animosity towards Supergirl and Kara, slash Kara, I should say. And so she comes to the totally rational conclusion that her hurt feelings and the fact that Kara slash Supergirl has sort of betrayed the virtues that she thought that both of the roles had stood for means that it's cool to destroy destroy Supergirl's life, I guess, and reveal her secret identity to the world. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting in the sense of, like, Alina isolated herself and then becomes more 
detached from reality and more detached from like actually having to empathize with people. And it's like she's in a world of her own making. And then you can see how far gone she is when she punches Supergirl into a bus in front of <laughs> kids. That reminded me of Mean Girls a little. <laughs> oh. And that's how Regina George died. <laughs> But then also when she breaks out of that and her Amazon assassinate, <laughs> Amazon assassin yeah. is like, would you like me to kill Supergirl? And she's not perturbed by that at all. She's just like, no, no. I just want her to suffer. Like, Lena, <laughs> Lena, you need some therapy. Yeah, she sure does. But I thought it was interesting because it reminds me of Alora, actually, because she mm, interesting is really attached to this idea that Kara betrayed a virtue. Like, she lied and she wasn't truthful and values that more than, like, her friend Kara and that relationship that they had and, like, the interpersonal nature of that and what that means, which you can contrast with Kara, who, when Lena tells her that she was afraid to tell her that she sold Katko. When she's like laying it on totally not subtly at all. Yeah. <laughs> Kara like immediately is understanding and, and you know compassionate and like oh that must have been tough for you. Whereas with Lena it's all about the sort of lofty ideal because I think Lena really attached herself to that over time and kind of made that her only foundation for like self-worth and like building up who she wants to be etc. And then when Lena is like taunting Kara further by trying to give her like the truth award um car ends up actually telling her that she is supergirl in traditional car fashion she just kind of blurts it out yes and that kind of throws lena off and it kind of reminded me of when cat was sort of berating supergirl for going missing during the earthquake in season one. Oh, in um human for a day when she has no powers yes and car just kind of was like but you were there for everyone and like praised cat for that role that she played and said that cat inspired her and cat was just like oh cat was just kind of flattered and a little bit thrown off by like oh you weren't mean back to me yeah does not compute (laughs) (laughs) exactly which happens to lena in a sense where she's like i have to leave now you're making me feel feelings and i don't care for it (laughs) (laughs) yes lena ends up doubling down on this idea i actually don't think she's doubling down because she's truly that angry at Mm-hmm. Kara, I think she's angry at herself for not being angrier. <laughs> she's inceptioned <laughs> herself. <laughs> I think she's a little confused. To yeah, be well, it's kind of like we were talking about before. I was like, she's used to thinking of Kara and Supergirl as two separate people, mm-hmm. and like she unequivocally loves Kara dearly. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about this. I don't think she's ever lied to Kara about anything important. She's withheld information about like Sam. Yeah. But that's just how Lena rolls. Like that to me isn't the same as like actively lying or like the things about like I was doing experiments on stuff I stole from your home planet. <laughs> but she has been really confrontational and like intentionally shady about keeping secrets from Supergirl and then getting mad when she gets caught out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that you bring up the fact that like Kara being honest in that moment and being so genuine and so clearly upset and apologetic, it leaves Lena kind of at a loss for what to do. Because as we've seen in pre- previous seasons, particularly throughout her relationship with James, Lena, because of her position in society and her position as a Luther, really struggles to take the perspective of other people, particularly people of like oppressed or minority groups. Mm -hmm. And she also doesn't really recognize 
that as much as she may disdain the Luther name, she has a lot of those values incorporated into how she behaves or how she reads the world or treats other people. So it will be interesting to see if that comes up this season, particularly now that we have the reference to, you know, she's interacting more with people from that kind of elite world Mm. she grew up in. Yeah, that will be interesting. And that sort of cuts to the core of what the issue is right now and what the issues were previously in the Supergirl-Lena conflicts is Lena's inability or unwillingness or discomfort with empathizing with Supergirl and putting herself in her shoes and being willing to recognize how difficult things are for her when she does make a mistake, which is something that she expressed in her like fake speech. And we'll see if maybe she internalizes that at some point in the season, which I think they had someone say in the episode so that later on we can bring up that idea again Mm. of Kara being failable and making mistakes, but still trying. And that's kind of the point. And (laughs) but Luther's can't make mistakes. (laughs) People make mistakes. (laughs) Thinking they're alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Lita's in a weird place right now where she is like, I'm going to fix mankind and I'm going to manipulate Supergirl to do it. So it would be interesting to see situations where Lena thinks that she's doing the right thing, but for some reason thinks that Supergirl wouldn't just willingly help her and that she has to like lie to her about trusting her in order to get her to assist her, which I'm sure Lena will find a way to do that. And so it'll be sort of a battle for Lena's soul this season. Whoa. We leveled that up real quick. (laughs) (laughs) The writer's words, not mine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of represented by the fact that she has Lex's watch, the green and purple one. And then she also has Supergirl's watch, which might be something we see at least thematically come into play in the crossover when Lex returns. Yeah. So obviously, Lena's got a lot going on inside right now. Mm -hmm. If Lena were in the film Inside Out, that'd be fascinating. (laughs) Uh, But a A lot of her issues, as we already said, are definitely related to Kara, who in turn is having her own emotional struggles because of this whole secret keeping problem. Yes, which was nice. (laughs) It is. That was very much a return to form for (laughs) Kara. Yeah, it was nice to see Kara have more of like an emotional, personal investment in her interactions with Lena because it's always been phrased as I'm trying to help Lena and like I'm worried about her and stuff like that versus the personal impact it has on Kara. I am Kara, a person with my own feelings that have been <laughs> impacted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but of course, the way that we hear about this is when Kara is like, I'm selfish for having feelings about this. And it's funny that it's Alex of all people who's like, no. No, it's fine. <laughs> right? See? Oh, which we will talk about. Yeah, growth. But it was interesting to see Kara's abandonment issues come into play, I feel like, which was quite apparent in her big speech to Lena and just how much fear she very visibly had about the encounter and the idea of outing herself to Lena. And that whole exchange had very, like, season one win-friend breakup energy for me mm. when Kara was a little bit emotionally devastated by the fact that a friend connection was in jeopardy, which I'm always a big supporter of the concept of friendship being really important in people's lives. And a part of that scene which jumped out to me in terms of it being personal to Kara was when she said, if I could be Kara, just Kara, then I could keep you as a friend, which was particularly resonant in the sense of it being a a coming out situation. Yeah, it felt that way to me too. Yeah, like if you just pretend to be this kind of person and not that other element of who you are, 
are, then you can keep that relationship intact and convincing yourself that it's not that big of a sacrifice. Yeah. And her kind of fear over Lena's reaction and the way we see Lena really does react of two minds about it is very reminiscent of something a lot of parents who are caught off guard or like family Mm. members of people who come out will go through because you as the person who's making the decision to tell them have been mulling it over for however long. Mm. But the person you're telling, especially if they have negative baggage about it for a reason that has nothing to do with how much they care about you, will struggle quite a lot and go back and forth in this way that we're seeing with Lena of being like, on the one hand, I care. On the (laughs) other hand, this is the worst thing you could ever do with your life. Like, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yes. (sighs) But it was also kind of a good note that they've brought this back around to Kara and this feeling of wanting to feel like she's normal somewhere. Mm. That was kind of missing a bit last season. And it's really a core issue that Kara's dealt with her whole life throughout the series. So that was good. Mm -hmm. And one of the big reasons that Kara has been so fearful of this confrontation is the idea that she embodies like truth as part of truth, justice in the American way and as a reporter. Reporters don't tell the truth. Haven't you seen the president talk? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and we've seen before in the series that Kara feels, and other people also feel, that she's different as Supergirl. She embodies certain values and has to live up to them. Like, it's incredibly important to people that she lives up to them constantly. For instance, with Kat in the falling episode, which was kind of the big moment for a lot of people <laughs> in realizing that Kara has, like, negative feelings sometimes. <laughs> the audience as well as the characters in the show. Yeah. And Kat, while Carr was in the midst of her red kryptonite falling, as you were, said, you don't get to be a real person. You're a superhero. You get to represent all the goodness in the world, which on one hand kind of represents the fact that it's like an honor. You get to do this. But then on the other hand, Carl, whether she likes it or not, is a real person. I mean, not literally because she's fictional, but as the kids would say, feels bad, Scoob. (laughs) (laughs) Feels unhealthy. Yes. And Kara has frequently struggled with this, even after her falling. And the concept of Supergirl and what she represents in relation to children has been something that's been played up in the series a few times. For instance, obviously, in Falling, when she interacts with the little girl in the schoolyard in the beginning of the episode, and at the climax of the episode, the little girl throws out her Supergirl costume. Then even in season three, we saw when Kara wouldn't interact with the kid because she was in the middle of... Oh, when she was in depressed mode in the season three premiere? Yes. Yes. And then now... In season five, we had that opening scene where virtual Supergirl is talking to the virtual children and the kid says, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And she says, oh, that's easy. You just have to fight for what's right and always tell the truth. And then we have the kids in the museum, obviously looking up to Supergirl and her cousin and learning about them. And and then she's made an impression on Lena as well, who, as we've talked about, holds Kara to that same level of needing to always embody these values. And specifically with Lena, that's something that Kara struggled with before with the cult when she cut her hand to show them that she mm. wasn't a god. The one girl became disillusioned with her and Kara says, I let down my mask for one second and look what happens. You know, she turned into a terrorist. A terrorist, <laughs> yes. And then she ties it to Lena and says, I'm supposed to stand for truth. How am I supposed to be truthful, really truthful? And so she fears what will happen if Lena finds out that Kara and Supergirl are not a perfect person. And then Lena obviously throws that in her face, passive aggressive like but I never did 
purport to be a saint. That's actually really interesting in the sense that Lena is the one who's created this whole VR world that she's using as her self-therapy. And so everything that all the other background characters in it are saying are projections of her own understanding of Kara and Supergirl. And the things that those kids say, their appreciation for Supergirl and the things that she values and their genuine admiration are coming from someplace within Lena herself. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's true because she says it to us in the beginning of season three when she dedicates the Supergirl statue and she tells Kara that she felt inspired to swoop in and rescue Catco in her own way Hmm. with her wealth, trying to be a force for good. (laughs) But the other thing that's really interesting about it, especially because we've talked about Lena before and kind of where her traumas stem from in a lot of ways, is that all the positive things about Supergirl are coming out as being voiced by kids. Hmm. And Lena was deeply impacted by the fact that her most beloved role model in her life, she lost at a very young age and that was replaced by the Luthers. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, like you could also read that a little bit as the part of her that wished she still had someone like that in her life and that she does mean it 100%. But you can tell by the very last sentence about how you always tell the truth. Like, A, that sounds like a line from Love Actually about Christmas being the time you tell the truth, which, sure. Uh, (laughs) But as you can kind of tell by the way that part's worded, Lena's really hung up on this lying thing Mm -hmm. because that's what she associates with the family she was raised in after she lost her mother. And so what we're really seeing for her in this episode is the VR is almost representative of that. She's trying to figure out, like, which parts of Kara were real in some ways. (laughs) Mm. Interesting. But I like that idea of like Lena's words coming from the kids in the sense of childhood emotional abuse and the idea of like when you go to therapy, you kind of treat your inner child Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. And talk about like sort of teaching your inner child the things that they should have learned and growing up in a safe family environment. And the way that Lena previously looked up to Supergirl was kind of childlike and it's sort of hero worship. Yes. And something that needs to happen with Lena now is sort of teaching her inner child to have a more mature view of Kara as a person and therefore make some revelations about how the world works and more positively engage with it and those interpersonal relationships. Well, and also she needs to come around to a recognition that a disagreement or a bump in the road or like a moral failing in one instance is not, you know, you need to self-destruct a whole relationship. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a thing she's been taught and she's always been on the receiving end of it for the most part from her family members. But that's not how other people work, as we see specifically with Kara in this episode interacting with Alex and then in a few of the other relationship dynamics. So maybe. Well, Kara, interestingly, has sort of a very kind of black and white view of herself, Mm. probably influenced by the role that she feels like she needs to play. And then also the sense of responsibility, quite obviously, from that traumatic childhood event where her mother's like, go save the world. (laughs) Right. My dying wish is for you to be the hero of an alien race. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So Kara sort of assesses herself and recognizes that she isn't doing something that aligns with her own values or what she thinks her values are. And then she's like, I'm terrible, which is a very drastic conclusion to make. And then Alex plays a nice role in the situation where at first she's like trying to push Kara to do what she knows that Kara wants to do. And for Kara's sake, maybe get it over with. Yeah. And then when 
and Kara reacts the way she does and she's like, I'm terrible and is avoiding receiving her Pulitzer Award. Alex is like, no, no, chill out, maybe. <laughs> Which coming from Alex is like a wild advice. Right? Chill out. <laughs> What's happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> but but Alex has always seen Kara in a more realistic light in the sense that she knows Kara is fallible and yes. <laughs> vulnerable and something that she forgot for a little bit in season four. But trifles. Unimportant. <laughs> and that despite that, she's deserving of compassion, which is something that it's good for most people to internalize. I actually really liked the way Alex and Kara interacted, kind of related to that whole issue. Mm. Like everything Alex did was very big sistery and <laughs> like a way you'd expect but it was also very nicely done like her initial encouragement of like you've been talking about this for weeks i already told you what i thought you should do (laughs) yeah stop like fixating on it just go do it already that was very alex Mm. but also it was the right advice for Kara, who normally just goes out and does things (laughs) and then when she realizes like how upset Kara is she immediately backpedals and is like hey hey wait a minute Yeah, I we need to take care of you because like this isn't okay, which again is very Alex. Uh, <laughs> but it also was like a nice indication of how Alex has grown as a person mm-hmm. to some extent because she's able to kind of take a look at it from that perspective and be like, hey, you don't have to be responsible for everyone else's life, which was a concern that Eliza had in season three about Kara as well. <laughs> but on the other hand, we'll have to see where the cracks are within Alex's own like sense of that for herself because she's kind of always been better about giving that compassion to Kara versus herself. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they both have very exacting standards uh, <laughs> for themselves. That's why they get along so well. <laughs> sisters and tying into this concept of like supergirl and her values obviously is truth which we've mentioned a bit but it looks like we'll be getting a more in-depth look at it in different contexts this season obviously we have the setup for Kara and her relationship with Lita with like her award for her tireless pursuit of the truth with reporting and then her being like I'm a liar and then Lena has that value as well saying that she keeps her word but then we have interesting moments particularly this one between Lena and Kara where Lena says thank you for telling me the truth but Kara things can't be like they were before there can be no secrets between us I have to be in on everything which you brought up how Kara in all of this it felt kind of like her friend breakup with Wynn mm-hmm. Lena's reaction here is different in a very interesting kind of way oh well because Wynn just asks for space mm. Lena's like you're going to inform me about everything <laughs> all of the time from now on which is very controlling yeah in a not good way mm-hmm. Lena has some issues pertaining to control you don't say <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is obviously not a healthy relationship dynamic even if Lena were being like genuine and straightforward in that moment and had like accepted what Kara said and was willing to try to move past it. It's quite obviously displayed in a not healthy light and like you can tell the show is aware of it. So it'll be interesting to see how they play upon this aspect of their new strange relationship. And I expect that that concept of like the truth is always the best thing that Kara was very attached to in this episode be something that we'll see throughout the season with other characters as well. 
like with interpersonal relationships, but then also with like monitoring and data collection. Mm. And connected to this concept of truth, this truth theme, we have reporting and the best way to tell the truth. There's a conflict between like Andrea and then on her side, William Day, the new reporter, and then we have James and then we have Cara. James says the first sort of relevant line about this. He says, I don't care if it's 500 or 5,000 words. The most important thing that we can do is report everything that we can find on each candidate. That way our readers can make an informed decision, which is quite the extreme version of that argument. The concept that the best thing to do is give all of the information possible immediately and people can totally parse that well and also Kara realized in previous seasons that that can sometimes lead to problems as well if you don't have all the facts before you go forward hmm. and then we have the opposition come in with um, Andrea Rojas who says attention spans have plummeted down with revenues readers want water cooler news that's just fun to read and just as easy to digest so they are quite polar opposites here where we have James being like say every word you can and and then Andrea's like, keep it short and like entertaining as opposed to informative and like not caring if it's informative is sort of the point <laughs> on that side. Although this plot point regarding revenue is interesting to compare to season one in the pilot episode when Kat had the issue where she was going to fire a bunch of people from the Tribune. Mm, yeah because they were losing money. Yeah, and Cara took issue with it and she was like worried about the employees sort of tying in that same concept of like people losing their jobs. And Cara's sense of compassion for others. Yes. And that was a big thing for Supergirl, that role that Cara had just come into in the first few episodes of season one. So it feels like a nice kind of return to form in a way, especially in combination with these like antagonistic characters at Kako who have certain ideas about the messages that should come out of Kako kind of reminiscent of when Kara was like, she should be called Superwoman <laughs> and yelled a cat. And that takes us to Kara <laughs> and uh, her sort of maybe middle ground in progress. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> how it goes. She gives her big like speech and says, I will try to be shorter because I am flexible. She says it very angrily, which I find amusing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, she says, but I will fight you every time on every story to make sure it is told the way it deserves to be told. And I vibe with it. I don't understand why that resonated with you at all. <laughs> Here at Supergirl's Attic, <laughs> at least one of us enjoyed this quite a lot. I just sat there like, Kara, <laughs> you should be fired right now. <laughs> it's kind of like how she responded to Snapper and was like, but I chose this job and I'm going to do it my way. And he was like, excuse me? Well, I think it's... It's it's coming from a like a moral place, but... Well, I think she is more justified than ever to play that role because we also had the scene that I referenced in season one when she yelled a cat. Yes. Because <laughs> she was mad about the name. Whereas here, I think Kara had a little bit more leverage maybe as a Pulitzer Prize winner and you could tell Andrea didn't want her to leave since she forced her into the role. Right. When she kept being like, you'll never get work again. I'm like, really? No one's gonna want to work with the person who just <laughs> won an award for investigative journalism because right. you turned their detail news publication into like a tabloid. I guess the only thing that she could do is like contractually she 
might yeah. be limited. Yeah, Kara has more leverage there than a lot of the other people, which is why she was a good voice for that particular mm-hmm. argument. It's just the way she went about it. It was very, like, to go back to the Hogwarts question, that would be what I'd call a Kara Gryffindor moment. <laughs> yes. She didn't think through, like, the implications and be like, maybe I should play nice first and then see if I can get her on my side. Well, what was interesting, though, about the part where she was like, I will try to be shorter because I am flexible, is <laughs> that she's, like, saying Are you? this, like, agreeable thing while she's also, like, at a 10. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of telling Nia to tone it down a little when they superhero. I, I implicitly support her decision here. <laughs> but it also felt like the most Kara energy reporting thing mm. ever. <laughs> I remember before season four, we in SBF, the Sunshine Protection Force server, had a lot of discussions about Kara and reporting and whether or not that was a good fit for her. And like, this was very emblematic of my vision of how Kara would be as a reporter. And it was just kind of nice to see that over-the-top energy directed to reporting values and such. But this concept of, like, the best way to give people information and convey the truth and, like, where along this line of give everyone all of the information versus give people information that they will be entertained by and, like, finding a place where it's informative and entertaining or it's information that people can parse (laughs) with their brains. And related to this theme question that we'll be saying is James, who has left Kako. Kelly gives that speech where she's like, Kako and journalism isn't all that you are. You started helping people long before Dad put that camera in your hand. And she says, I know you think that you have to muscle your way through everything, <laughs> Gryffindor. But for once, just take a step back and ask, what does James Olsen want? And then he pulls a move that was very reminiscent of Kat for me when she left in season two. And she made the decision to dive into the unknown. Andrea yells after him, you'll never work as a journalist again. And then he says, that's part of the adventure. So We'll see what plans they have for James. For a cat, they had Speaker of the House. And that was pretty interesting. So we'll see what they do. Yeah, well, and Makad has said that he felt that it was a very fitting choice for the character. And thus far, I actually also kind of felt that way with James's decision to like walk out and be perfectly content about it. <laughs> because even going all the way back to season one, when he came in as like the art director at CatCo, he's always said he'd never really felt comfortable just being behind a desk and in an administrative or an executive position like that. <laughs> he's gotten a lot better at it and at being savvy about it in some ways. But I think it'll be cool to see where he goes from here. And I also really liked Kelly's comment to James about not needing to like muscle his way through everything as an nod back to their conversations when he decided to seek therapy for his PTSD. Hmm. So, yay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like James went on this journey with Guardian and then kind of recognizing the value of his role at Kako. So one might come away from the situation and be like, why did we go through that if he's just then going to leave? But I take it more as like he's learned what he needs to learn from these roles. And yes. perhaps he'll he'll channel this into whatever's next for him. Yes. And also for those who aren't aware of this, the reason James is leaving is because Makad is currently filming a movie. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. yeah and could not do both. So mm-hmm. he'll be back eventually. <laughs> they always come back. They're going to give me Aunt Cara and Uncle James as I've <laughs> wanted since season one. And it's going to be glorious. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> we hold on to hope. Amazon hope. And then a character who is not super integrated into technology at the moment, he has taken a different path, is Jean Jones. We got to see where he is in terms of his new like outlook on life and his philosophy. And his new look. 
just generally. <laughs> mm, yes. They referenced John Jones, Alex said it that way, as a nod to his private eye role, where he has the sort of, I guess, Americanized, <laughs> Earthized. Human passing. Human passing name <laughs> written on the door. And then we also saw, which was interesting and also cute, he said, I'm teaching a Tai Chi class to a bunch of kids. We've maybe seen him do this before, Tai Chi, back in episode seven of season two. Kara like, walks in on him doing motions which look like Tai Chi to me. He said that he learned it from a Shaolin monk in the late 1800s. Leading me to wonder, how long exactly has Jean been hiding on Earth? <laughs> and how long was that Martian War? And how old was he when it started? Because his father was supposed to be like 500 something years old. Yeah, he's been on Earth a long time, but he's only now really becoming an active part of the community <laughs> with this Tai Chi. And we see that he's still a man of the people in teaching this class. And Tai Chi specifically is interesting. He says, I'm living with clarity and purpose, which is after his season four strife, probably nice for him. Last year, he struggled with violence versus the concept of ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And here we have him practicing Tai Chi, which is like sort of a self-defense style martial art, and then also has these elements of meditation, which balances his want for peace and and his like manhunting proclivities. That sounds so threatening. <laughs> it can be, baby. <laughs> And Tai Chi specifically has values which are in line with what Jean is going for lately concerning like yin yang balance in combat. And I have a quote here that says that the idea is not to directly fight or resist an incoming force, but to meet it in softness and follow its motion while remaining in physical contact until the incoming force of attack exhausts itself or can be safely redirected, meeting yin with yang, which kind of reminds me of Manchester's first fighting form, which was not like Tai Chi but was more avoiding attacks and stepping aside and kind of going with the flow of the attacker in order to give way and then they kind of injure themselves. Mm. And Brainy kind of fights like that too. He does. And then there's this concept of wuda, meaning like martial virtue slash heroism. And the idea is to protect the defenseless and show mercy to one's opponents, which I think summarizes where Jean's at right now pretty well. And then this concept of Tai Chi kind of hints at some future conflicts we may see for Jean in relation to technology, specifically in terms of mindfulness, like in relation to the meditative aspect of Tai Chi. It is purported that focusing the mind solely on the movements of the form helps to bring about a state of mental calm and clarity. And so you're kind of like aware of your body and in the present moment, as opposed to being like plugged in, so to speak, like to your devices or social media or having that sort of constant flow of information and activity, which takes you out of the present moment. So Tai Chi is used to balance body and mind. And then also, interestingly, Tai Chi can be used as a form of like therapy with patients with dementia. Participants who practice Tai Chi three times a week showed significant increases in brain volume, as well as improvements in their memory and thinking test scores. And Kelly in this episode mentioned how she was going to use virtual reality therapy to heal the brains of dementia and PTSD patients. So it's kind of interesting to see this virtual form of therapy versus a very physically grounded kind of therapy trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. And I also liked that detail for the fact that A, it was very relevant to Kelly as both a psychologist and someone who was a former military combatant. Mm -hmm. But also the mention of dementia then ties her more directly also to some of the other characters in the Space Fam. 
who've had relatives with that kind of memory loss because we know Jean has talked about it and so has Alex. Yeah. So that was cool. And we may see more the idea of memory and Jean and Kelly. You don't say. (laughs) And in terms of Jean and future conflicts, we saw his past come back to haunt him in this episode. And related to that, there were some Kara and Jean parallels. Obviously, when Midnight hops out of the Phantom Zone, Kara talks about how Allura locked up a bunch of people. And It was very reminiscent of season one where she got so bored of greeting all the different (laughs) villains with like, yeah, yeah, my Mm. mother, you want to fight about it? (laughs) This was her like nice version of that speech. Yeah. (laughs) And then John's like, your mother didn't lock her up. I did. Your father did instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then we also see, obviously, with John's brother who appeared, he said, you and father are even more evil than I knew, but justice prevails. So we see both with John and Kara, like a loved one getting vengeance (laughs) upon them and thinking that they're like the bad guy. And there's also, interestingly, some missing information and tying into that kind of truth theme for both of them. In Kara's case, obviously, Lena has that secret that she doesn't actually trust her anymore and Jean didn't remember that he has a brother troubling yes what a nice parallel to last season yes wow oh maybe we'll get more Jean Alex scenes then yes I hope so they can bond over forgetting important things in their lives (laughs) which is terrible but great (laughs) in the true spirit of Supergirl's attic Um, (laughs) so he'll be seeking out that truth and in terms of Car and Jean parallels we had that first scene when Kara almost spilled a couple coffees and Jean oh, yeah. caught them. At Noonan's, which was back again for the first time in yeah. years. Yes. And then Kara, in turn, saved Jean from midnight twice. And I'm wondering if maybe this is a bit of foreshadowing for later and they will be in a situation where they can't save each other. They better not. Be <laughs> possibly in relation to something Lena does or something Jean's brother does, or the crossover, yeah, or all of the above, all of the above. And then speaking of Kelly and her interaction with the fam, the fam, they've integrated her so nicely already. They have. It's quite nice. But we get a read on her situation, which is that she is excited to be able to help people using the virtual reality technology as a psychologist. Yes. And I like that her excitement had a very Kara-like vibe to it. (laughs) It was so genuine Mm -hmm. and just like bubbly excited. I was like, I like this. You're a good fit. Yes. (laughs) Kelly is quickly rising in the ranks (laughs) for favorite (laughs) characters for me. Oh, no. Um, And I, too, have the same amount of enthusiasm for this concept of psychology and virtual reality. So I vibe with it. And then for Kelly, we saw that she shared some things with Alex. She was quite in sync with her. And they both agreed that Hans Gruber was the, I guess, evilest villain of all time from the Die Hard movie. Which I was like, I guess. I don't know those movies. (laughs) But then I was like, oh, he's played by Alan Rickman? Probably legit. (laughs) And then Kelly was talking about how people can use the augmented reality technology with the contact lenses to connect without saying a word. And then Alex is like, it's kind of like you and me in like such a cheesy move which was so sappy mm-hmm. but also a kind of sappy that she's censored herself with before mm-hmm. so that was nice mm-hmm. and so i've been taking like all of the different things we're seeing in this first episode and being like what is this foreshadowing where 
is this leading us to? Where's this gonna go? And in terms of her being in sync with Alex, they agree on who the evilest movie villain is, but will they agree who the villain is in real life? Mm. Especially regarding technology and obsidian. And I wonder if we'll see some value differences or communication issues with Alex and Kelly. Kind of suss out what their differences are and, and maybe where they conflict and see some interesting things. And then also we got the bit about how Kara ran into her in the elevator because they are in the same building now. Yes, which is great. Now we have like a sort of logical reason why characters are randomly mm-hmm. in the same places at the same time. Yeah. I also got the impression that Newton's was in the same building. Did you also? Oh, maybe. Maybe the same block. Like so Kelly said, I had to tell her I couldn't join her crusade against my new boss on my second day, which was like such a like secondhand car moment. It was <laughs> that I enjoyed. And like Kelly wasn't exasperated about it. She was talking to James, like, you know how Kara is. Yes. I delightful. Like I love her, but <laughs> And that also ties into the concept that we were talking about before with corporations having power mm-hmm. over people. But that might be something that comes into play. Kelly's getting along so well with all of them now, and I wonder how her role there will also the dynamic in the future. Ooh, that sounds ominous. <laughs> We've kind of already talked about some of Alex's things in talking about other people, which is the way that you are most likely to get insight about Alex because <laughs> Alex doesn't like to focus on herself. No, she does not. And you tend to see the expressions of who she is as a person when she interacts with other people or talks about being stressed out about other people. <laughs> <laughs> a frequent event. But it seems like she's in a good place at the moment, which, yeah. oh, no. (laughs) Speaking of looking forward in the season. Right? Well, that was several of the characters. Like, Kara wasn't a good place at the beginning of the episode, but she ended up in a good place. She thinks Nia and Brainy are doing pretty good. Jean's lifestyle is reflecting his values, and everyone's, like, doing okay. And we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, well, they did that last season, too. So, we'll see. Exactly. But we actually see Alex, and I was kind of joking, but I was like, I think this might be the first time all series that she's been genuinely content <laughs> and like oh, that's so sad. in a good mood consistently mm-hmm. and she's got a handle on stuff the deo with brainy also and also has like a personal relationship at the same time and doesn't feel like totally stressed about both of these things and it feels kind of at home yeah that was the thing that was very striking in a good way about alex's evolution as a character since the start of the series is she seems much more confident in her control over her own life Mm. and she's also we see a lot in this episode she's the one who's taking initiative in her personal relationship We didn't see as much with work, but I think we probably will starting next episode in terms of kind of instigating interactions with people, being much more comfortable, being open with her feelings in front of other people. Mm -hmm. She was like making jokes. (sighs) I'm so proud. I was like, we kind of have seen flashes of Alex's sense of humor over the series, but like we got multiple times in one episode, which like that's also never happened. Yeah. Which is great because Kyler does comedy well. So that she does. Let her take a break from crying. (laughs) We'll integrate it back in later in the season. You you use that like a weapon because it's very effective, (laughs) but you have to use it sparingly and at the right moment. It's like how you tricked us with Sean and like made us cry and devastated us when he got emotional about Manchester. Yes, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes and if she actually like 
has learned sufficient coping skills to not backslide quite as far mm-hmm. in the face of setbacks and how possibly like her relationships with Kelly and Jean and Kara have affected that. Yeah. This season's going to be heavy on interpersonal stuff, they've said, the writers. So we'll have to see what the developments are for Alex. She was really in sync with Kelly in this episode and she also had that moment with Kara when they looked at each other and were like, trap. <laughs> yes. Well, and they also did what I would refer to as like the twin thing where they answer <laughs> things at the same time. Even when they didn't have the same movie choice, they still answered it at the same time. Mm-hmm. That was fun. But we'll have to see like if that stays the way it does. And- if that's secretly evil foreshadowing like last year too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's probably why we saw that sort of great team up moment with all of them in the fight against midnight where the music is playing and they're all attacking at the same time and like in sync and they feel like a cohesive team and they're all getting along and in a pretty good place that'll be an interesting thing to contrast with whatever happens later in the season (laughs) yeah (laughs) enjoy it while it lasts (laughs) (laughs) but it was a really nice moment of like being like oh they've come so far all together it was and then to kind of round out our first look at all of the core characters of the show. We also saw a little bit with Nia and with Brainy. We haven't seen kind of where their individual stories are going as far as maybe their like work lives yet. Mm-hmm. But we did see how their relationship with each other is going. We had a little bit of a check-in. Mm-hmm. They had an initial, like that lack of communication where Brainy wasn't divulging how he was feeling about their relationship and his like insecurity and fear that he was going to hurt Nia. But it was nice to then see Nia confront the issue after she sees Kelly and Alex engaging in PDA. And so she pulls Brainy aside and is like, I just need to know what you're comfortable with, which was nice. <laughs> it was. It was very cute. It reminded me of Kara in season one with James where she drops that like, I am all about consent mm-hmm. line. And I was like, oh, Nia really is a mini Kara. Yeah. And that was interesting in terms of Brainy's reaction where he's like, I've been in a lot of romantic relationships, but that Nia was the only person that he's been in love with because it sort of subverts the expectation that people who are neurodivergent are like sexless or not physically affectionate. So it was nice to see him be like, no, it's not related to that or just turn what maybe the viewers were thinking would happen on its head. Yeah. And also from that conversation with Nia, I'm curious if we'll get to see any more information about Nia's previous experiences with romantic relationships, particularly as an out trans character on the show, Mm -hmm. and maybe how that affects how she communicates, because she is very clear Yeah, most of the time, very blunt. It felt right for the character for that reason also. Yes, it did. So it'll be cool to see how they develop that as well going forward. And have those conversations. Yeah. And in terms of Brainy's confession, it brings up the theme of like feelings versus technology, which is something we obviously see with Lena, who is trying to use technology to help control her negative emotions and control being the operative word as opposed to dealing with her negative emotions. For Brainy, he fears being too emotionless and like a robot in a sense. And the reason that he thought that Miranda Priestley was the evilest villain of all time was because because she's cold, uncaring. She betrays the people that she cares about most. And then he compares that to himself at the end of season four, when he was sort of aligned with his more emotionless ancestors. And 
he said that even though I love you, I hurt you, which is also interesting in terms of themes that are relevant to other characters. Mm, And have been relevant the whole series. Yes, but it might be particularly relevant this season, possibly in relation to all the interpersonal stuff we'll see going on. And then also related to like feelings versus technology and Brainy. Brainy tells Kara that she can't go into the black hole to go save Jean because the odds are not in her favor. And she just yells, we can't let bad odds or whatever it is we're afraid of stop us from doing what we know is right, which of course reflects her own state of mind at the moment, but also plays upon Brainy's tendency to value data over anything else. So we might see something along those lines for Brainy's character, but then also maybe connected to some of the other technology themes. I concur. (laughs) And then just a couple assorted things before we round out this episode with the overview of the season premiere. This is a minor thing, but they used to be much better about kind of keeping it there in the background. It was a little bit weird that Kara had enough guest invites to her Pulitzer prize award dinner that she could bring along like plus ones for other people but there was no mention of like the rest of the living members of her family who were not in attendance like we know clark and lois were away on argo for a while they're obviously going to be back by the crossover so a mention of them would have been nice Mm -hmm. since they are both also journalists and lois has won that award before yeah i think it doesn't fix right now all the weirdness but they'll probably retroactively be like oh it's my full surprise winning cousin (laughs) hey missed you at that dinner (laughs) (laughs) well it was also weird too that there was no mention of like eliza or cat yeah like as having sent like a card or flowers or just something those are the two big ones that i'm really concerned about (laughs) especially maybe because the conversation with clark is not always super consistent so i can like forgive it in terms of car's life yeah but because of the role that cat played in where car is now well and also because we know that even in the phases where cat was absent in between appearances in season two she mentions that she kept up with car's career yeah she sent nia over to her yeah so like that was weird that there was no follow-up on that and then also just we've mentioned this last season as well like that the danvers being such a close-knit family like it's weird (laughs) when they don't mention like that their mom exists yeah. And again, this was something that they were much more consistent with in the first two seasons as far as mentioning it as just like in passing, like, oh, hey, I got this text or, you know, my mom sent a card for this holiday I like. Yay. <laughs> so like that just stood out as like slightly awkward. Yeah. Alas. <laughs> That's one of those things that could potentially be chalked up to like writer turnover over the years in terms of people not thinking as consistently about some of those details. It could also be just a mix of like new versus more experienced, but some of it's also just like having that brain for the world building, yeah. which is hit or miss a little bit sometimes. So, but like they remembered to have Kelly call James's mom last season like that's one of the reasons i was thinking about it because i remember it standing out and i was like well at least somebody's got some good sense i think that it's they're more likely to do it when the thing isn't already established yeah which then makes it weird for us as viewers like this thing has been established where is it (laughs) yeah the other thing i just want to point out which was very cool is that so far this season the only romantic relationships in the show are lgbtq ones which like a wild (laughs) how often does that happen on a tv show that's not explicitly for and about queer characters. Hmm. And also both of those relationships were given their own scenes with strong emotional and relationship content. And they were also given multiple moments of physical affection and intimacy in this episode. So that was actually pretty awesome in terms of seeing that the show is planning to double down on its commitment to those Mm storylines. 
So that wraps up our sort of first look at season five and its themes and where the characters are at. Stay tuned for next week for our first themed episode for season five. If you guys have any questions or comments, you can always go to Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirl's Attic and send them our way. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.